Welcome to PQ Talk on Call, a podcast dedicated to current and aspiring intensivists. I'm Pradeep Kamat. And I'm Rahul Demania, and we are coming to you from Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, Emory University School of Medicine. Welcome to our episode of a 17-year-old girl with history of lupus and now in acute liver failure. Here's the case presented by Rahul. A 17-year-old female presents to the PICU with acute liver failure. Important past medical history includes a diagnosis of lupus on therapy with prednisone, Celsept, and Plaquenil. Four days prior to admission, the patient presented to an outside hospital with right upper quadrant pain and non-bloody non-bilious vomiting, along with associated fever and malaise. She was subsequently discharged and was given steroids at the outside hospital. She represents to the outside hospital with notable labs, including a mild transaminitis and an INR of 1.5. She suddenly, at this outside hospital, developed fluid refractory hypotension and was started on a presser. Due to continued worsening of her transaminitis, as well as a rising INR, she was referred to our tertiary PICU for further management. Pertinent history includes a negative urine pregnancy test no recreation drug use, and only as-needed use of Tylenol. She is now in the PICU. She generally appears tired and ill. She is tachypnic on 4 liters nasal cannula, and her oxygen saturation is 98%. She has a non-focal lung exam. Her cardiac exam is notable for tachycardia and pertinently no gallop, rub, or murmur. Her abdominal exam is non-focal, except for mild discomfort on palpation of the right upper quadrant with a palpable liver edge. Her extremities are cool with the cap refill of three to four seconds. She's able to answer questions, but intermittently dozes off during the exam. No rashes are noted. So Rahul, to summarize key elements from this case, uh, this patient has a history of lupus, and is on immunosuppressive medications. New onset of fever, malaise. This sounds to me like a lupus flare as she has clinical picture of generalized inflammation. But let's pause here for a second and take a look at key history and physical components in this patient who has a chronic autoimmune condition. Like you mentioned, for the fever, malaise, and feeling of being tired, all are symptoms that we call constitutional symptoms. She has abdominal pain and vomiting, and that, again, could be related to systemic inflammation, but you're also worried about an intra-abdominal lesion. Rahul, are there some red flag symptoms of physical exam components you would like to highlight in this patient? Absolutely, Pradeep. Well, I think that generally this patient has signs of shock. She has tachycardia, delayed cap refill, and cool extremities. She's tachypnic and we notice that she has a paddle and this could I- indicate that the patient has elevated central venous pressures. Initially, her outside presentation of fluid refractory shock is of an utmost concern. Fluid refractory shock with multi-organ presentation involving liver, kidney, and blood, all of these elements bring up concern for acute life-threatening process such as sepsis or even immune dysregulation due to her history of lupus. So to continue with our case, patient's labs were consistent with acute liver dysfunction. Uh, She has elevated 
transaminitis in the thousands. Total bilirubin is 1.6, and a gamma glutamyl transferase is 56. Given the transaminitis, I see that the bilirubin is not elevated to a degree I would expect for that amount of liver dysfunction. She also has acute kidney injury, a creatinine greater than 2. She has an uptrending coagulopathy with elevated PT and INR. Her PT at the outside hospital was 120 and an INR uh, peaked at 16. She has thrombocytopenia. Her platelets are less than 50,000. She had a peak lactate of 9.2 and a current uh, metabolic acidemia. Her serum bicarb is 7 and her pH on a blood gas is 7.18, pointing towards a metabolic process. Uh, The pertinent negatives in this case were normal serum ammonia, and she finally has an elevated white count of 20K, hemoglobin of about 9.7, platelets we already talked about less than 50, and a CRP of 4.2. And interestingly, her ESR was only 5. Okay, Pradeep, to summarize, we have a 17-year-old female with lupus controlled on CELSEP who now presents with fever, hypotension, AKI, and liver dysfunction with severe coagulopathy. Although we do not have other labs and we're really focused on her acute resuscitation, I think her constellation of symptoms brings up the concern for acute macrophage activation syndrome, which is the topic of our discussion today. Rahul, can we start with a multiple choice question? Absolutely. Let's get into it. A 12-year-old male with history of juvenile idiopathic arthritis presents with fever, rash, hypotension, acute respiratory distress with hypoxia. Mental status is normal. He also has acute kidney injury, transaminitis, coagulopathy, metabolic acidemia, as well as anemia and thrombocytopenia. His liver and spleen are enlarged, and he has scattered lymphadenopathy. The laboratory findings most suggestive of acute macrophage activation syndrome in this patient is A, ESR greater than 100, B, Adams TS13 activity decreased less than 10%, C, serum ferritin greater than 20,000, or D, elevated fibrinogen greater than 500? Rahul, this is a great question. The correct answer is serum ferritin greater than 20,000 nanograms per ml. Any patient with systemic GIA who presents with high fever, hyperosplenomegaly with evidence of multi-organ dysfunction should be considered to have potentially life-threatening complication of systemic inflammatory disorders. Acute macrophage activation syndrome, or MAS, unless proven otherwise. The 2016 classification criteria for MAS uh, was published by Ravelli et al. in 2016. It requires a ferritin of greater than 684 nanogram per ml and any two of the following. A platelet count of less than 181,000, an AST greater than 48, triglycerides greater than 156, and a fibrinogen less than or equal to 360. Okay, let's summarize. Platelets less than 180,000, fibrinogen less than 360, transaminitis with an elevated AST of greater than 48, and hypertriglyceridemia. Remember, many of these values are acute phase reactants, and we're going to get into this later on in this episode. Correct. Rahul, all the above lab abnormalities should not be otherwise explained by any other patient condition 
such as concomitant immune-mediated thrombocytopenia, infectious uh, hepatitis, visceral leishmaniasis, or even familial hyperlipidemia. So Pradeep, are there any other inflammatory mediators or subtleties you would like to highlight with this disease? Yeah, Rahul, a falling ESR, especially with a high CRP, is concerning for MAS and is secondary to low fibrinogen in the setting of a consumptive coagulopathy. In the question, the patient's ESR is elevated. Low or absent Adams T13 activity is more suggestive of thrombocytopenic purpura or TTP, which is not the case here as the patient's mental status is preserved, indicating no CNS involvement. In MAS, there is typically consumption of fibrinogen, not its elevation. The elevated ferritin, more than 10,000 nanogram per ml, along with other systemic findings in this patient in the question, is very highly suggestive of MAS. Additional labs that would suggest MAS include demonstration of hemophagocytosis in the bone marrow or other tissues, elevated D-dimers, lactic acid dehydrogenase or LDH, triglycerides, low natural killer cell function, and elevated soluble IL-2 receptor levels. That was a great highlight of the incorrect answers. And what I want to summarize for our listeners is that the pathophysiology of MAS is increased immune activation. This, along with dysfibrinogenemia, is really important to consider with this diagnosis. The dysfibrinogenemia is likely due to microangiopathic consumption. Rahul, can you briefly tell us about macrophage activation syndrome? What happens at cellular level? MAS is classified among the group of hemophagocytic lymphohistiocytosis, or HLH. So really important for us to recognize that HLH is the umbrella term. Now, HLH includes familial HLH and secondary HLH. Secondary HLH is triggered by several causes, including infection, drugs, malignancy, and rheumatic disorders. Remember our case, the patient had lupus. In MAS, a common hypothesis is that there is a defect in lymphocyte cytolytic activity, which means that lymphocytes are not able to kill cells appropriately. So let's break down the pathophysiology a bit further. Number one, there is a genetic predisposition, and that is to having increased macrophage responsiveness. Number two, there is some form of background inflammatory activity that is going on in the patient. So what cytokines are elevated? IL-6, IL-1, IL-18. Importantly, what does IL-6 do? Well, IL-6 actually decreases NK cell function or natural killer cell function. So now you have bad T cell cytolytic function and decreased NK cell cytolytic function. So what does this lead to? Well, this leads to prolonged cell-to-cell interactions and amplification of a pro-inflammatory cascade. All right, point number three. So now we have a genetic predisposition, some background cytokine inflammatory activity with cytokine production, and now we layer in the third element of the pathophysiology, which is a trigger. So what are common triggers? Acute on chronic inflammation, such as a lupus flare, and especially important to consider, infection. Now, this trigger will be important to capture in our understanding as the management of HLH and MAS will be geared towards reversing this trigger. So where does the term hemophagocytosis 
come into the picture? Well, the cytokine storm results in activation of macrophages, which are known as hemophagocytes. There's a particularly important cytokine, interferon gamma, and that actually makes macrophages very angry. And it is this response that contributes to the hemophagocytosis, as well as, most importantly, the multi-organ dysfunction. Pradeep, now with this summary, let's dive into macrophage activation syndrome, or MAS, and how it relates to HLH. Rahul, first of all, that was an excellent summary. Now, MAS is a life-threatening illness. It's a form of secondary HLH and a common complication of rheumatologic conditions such as systemic GIA. The occurrence of MAS has been well-reported in other autoimmune or autoinflammatory conditions such as adult onset and childhood onset systemic lupus, Kawasaki disease, and periodic fever syndromes. Characteristic clinical features of MAS are high non-remitting fever, hyperosplenomegaly, generalized lymph node enlargement, central nervous system dysfunction, and hemorrhagic manifestations. Typical lab abnormalities include pencytopenia, increased levels of ferritin, increased liver enzymes, LDH, increased triglycerides, increased D-dimers, and increase in soluble IL-2, also known as CD25. There are also decreased fibrinogen levels. A typical histopathological feature of MAS is the accumulation of well-differentiated macrophages exhibiting hemophagocytic activity in bone marrow biopsy specimens or aspirates. Although the prevalence of MAS among patients with systemic GIA has been estimated to be about 10%, recent reports suggest that subclinical MAS may occur in as many as 30 to 40% of patients with systemic GIA. MAS can result in progressive organ failure and eventually a fatal outcome if not recognized and managed early. Recent studies indicate a mortality of around 8 to 10%. Early recognition of MAS is often challenging given the lack of a single pathognomonic clinical or lab feature of this condition. Furthermore, histopathological features of hemophagocytosis may not be present in the initial stages of this disease process. In addition, features of MAS may be difficult to distinguish from other conditions that may present with overlapping manifestation, such as flares of systemic GIA, lupus, or even systemic infection. MAS associated with lupus is rare, and the incidence is about 0.9 to 4.5%. But survival from MAS in febrile lupus patients who are admitted to the hospital is about 64% compared to 97% of those without MAS. There are really high odds of in-hospital mortality in patients with lupus who present with fever and MAS. Okay, so to summarize, HLH is the umbrella term. And if a patient has signs and symptoms of acute inflammation and end-organ dysfunction with a chronic rheumatological disease, you definitely want to consider MAS in your differential. Remember that MAS in febrile lupus patients has a poor outcome with high mortality. So Pradeep, as you think about our case and what we just talked about, would there be other differentials to consider? Yeah, Rahul, I think the number one on the list is sepsis with DIC. The other thing on the list should be liver dysfunction. Although in this patient, the TBL was not that elevated despite her very high transaminitis. Any flare of the primary autoimmune disease, like a flare of the systemic GIA, lupus, 
should be in consideration. And remember, cytokine release syndrome also happens in patients who get CAR-T therapy, and it is a form of MAS. Radeep, if you had to work up this patient with MAS, what would be your diagnostic approach? Rahul, the initial labs any intensivist can quickly gather from this patient would be complete blood count with a differential, a DIC panel, a comprehensive metabolic panel, ferritin, soluble IL-2, blood and urine cultures. Any patient in multi-organ dysfunction, I would also trend lactates, blood gas, CMP, and DIC panel at least every 12 hours and as needed. A consult with rheumatology, infectious disease experts uh, would be helpful in the diagnosis and management early on. Given difficulty with distinguishing acute liver failure with DIC from MAS, factor 5, factor 7, and factor 8 levels should be obtained. Now, remember, factor 8 is the only factor that is not produced by the liver, and it is produced in the endothelium. So a decreased level may suggest other etiologies other than uh, liver failure. The help of a hepatology team may be very useful. Additionally, PQ docs must be vigilant for neutropenic sepsis and opportunistic fungal infections, correct electrolyte imbalances, and use blood products to correct anemia, thrombocytopenia, and the DIC. Alternative biomarkers for MAS, such as soluble IL-2, CD163, and IL-18 have shown promise. However, these tests are not universally available and generally have long turnaround times. It is important to rule out infection early, but that may be difficult to do so. I would send a viral panel, which includes SARS-CoV-2 PCR. Uh, From an imaging standpoint, I would begin with a chest radiograph, an abdominal ultrasound, and echocardiography. That was a great diagnostic framework. Remember, a ferritin greater than 10,000 with evidence of hemophagocytosis in the bone marrow is most suggestive of MAS, especially in a patient who has a presentation suggestive of this systemic inflammation. Rahul, if a history, physical, and diagnostic investigation led us to macrophage activation syndrome as our main diagnosis here, what would be your general management framework? I think that basic PICU care should be the first and foremost element which we should be focusing on. That includes close attention to airway, breathing, and hemodynamics. Modern medicine, as we know, is a team sport. So get your consultants on board early. These include infectious disease, rheumatology, hepatology, etc. Now, these patients will typically need mechanical ventilation. And when these patients are on conventional mechanical ventilation, use a high peak low FiO2, low tidal volume. These are all important lung protective strategies. Patients with MAS or HLH may need the oscillator for pulmonary hemorrhage. It's very important to optimize access in these patients. And so you should place CVLs and arterial lines. You also want to avoid benzodiazepines for sedation and prevent secondary kidney or liver toxicity by having close attention to nephrotoxic medications as well as hepatotoxic medications. Antibiotics especially may need to be dosed based on drug levels. As MAS is not readily distinguishable from sepsis, initial broad-spectrum antibiotics should be indicated. Moving on, although previously steroids and cyclosporin were the first line of therapy, more recently there is a push towards targeted therapy, and this includes cytokine-specific therapy with agents such as anakinra, 
an IL-1 receptor antagonist. Anakinra blocks the biologic activity of both IL-1, alpha, and beta by competitively inhibiting their binding to the IL-1 receptor. It is this IL-1 receptor that actually activates many T cells and upregulates gene expression of cytokines. Now, IV anakinra may be indicated in patients who are thrombocytopenic with platelets less than 20, those who have neurologic symptoms, and those who present with diffuse edema. A distinct advantage of anakinra is that the drug is less hepatotoxic and less immunosuppressive and has a shorter half-life compared to traditional medications such as etoposide and tocilizumab. Anakinra may actually help avoid steroids, especially if the diagnosis is not clear and there is a danger of masking underlying lymphoma as you add on steroids. Pradeep, it's also important to know that in systemic JIA, IL-1 beta receptor antagonists, canakinumab, and IL-6 inhibitors such as tocilizumab have been known to actually cause MAS. And so this is important to consider if you are going to have a patient that is undifferentiated with systemic JIA and you're going to be adding these therapies. In addition, plasma exchange and high flow continuous venovenous chemofiltration, CVVH, have shown promise. The use of extracorporeal cytokine removal therapies such as cytosorb may show some selective efficacy in such patients with MAS. Rahul. That was a great summary. So basically, in MAS, we should advocate for treating the underlying cause. As we move along, Rahul, what are some of the key objective takeaways from our case today? Patients presenting with fever and multi-organ dysfunction with elevated ferritin in the setting of a chronic rheumatologic disease should be considered to have MAS until proven otherwise. Early, good PICU supportive care, along with use of anakinra, in patients with MAS should be considered. The differential of MAS is extensive. But remember, sepsis is going to be on your differential along with flares of your underlying rheumatologic disease. You must also consider acute liver failure, and all of these entities can resemble secondary HLH. Rahul, more information about MAS can be found in the Furman and Zimmerman Textbook of Pediatric Critical Care We looked at chapter 106, page uh, 1260, and then we also looked at chapter 111, page 1312. This concludes our episode on acute macrophage activating syndrome. We hope you found value in our short case-based podcast. We welcome you to share your feedback, subscribe, and place a review on our podcast. Please visit our website, pqdoconcall.org which showcases our episodes as well as our Doc on Call management cards. PQ Doc on Call is co-hosted by myself, Pradeep Kamat, and my co-host, Dr. Rahul Dimenia. Stay tuned for our next episode. Thank you. Thank you.